Welcome back to another episode of Full Metal RPG. I'm your host, Brennan Carrion, and on this very special episode recorded at Crit Hit 2017 in Phoenix, Arizona, I am joined by my co-hosts. We got Adam Sink. Hello, everyone. We got Ben motherfucking Bailey. What's going on? And at long last, after, after many, many months of waiting... We're finally getting to sit down with none other than Justin Saroyes. Hello. Of Severed Books. Hello. Of Beneath the Inverted Church. Dungeon Dealer. Quite a pedigree in just a year, am I right? Yeah, um, a year and change, yeah. And what a a ride it's been. Um, Man, I am like, I'm over the moon with uh, support and uh, like fun factor, you know, like... All, like every almost every inch of it is fun maybe fulling, fulfilling etsy orders might not be fun uh and the repetitiveness of painting things black over and over and over um but man like the most fun i've had in a long 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 time and you had your first player character kill yes michael kimball died um yeah I killed my first player. So, so real okay. quick, real quick, because this is a bonus episode, and we're going to want to spend most of our time talking to Justin and asking Justin questions. So we'll dispense with the normal shit that we usually do, but we will, since since you're running something. Let's. Well, what are we all playing? What's everybody playing? Adam, what are you playing? What am I? I haven't played anything here yet. Uh, <laughs> okay, I'm so running <laughs> two games here. So tonight you run some vampire, right? I do. I run the pre-alpha. V5 uh, adventure the last night. So um, looking forward to digging into that and tearing it apart tonight. And we're um, going to be recording a Shadow Sworn in like a few days. Yep. So uh, I guess you guys can tune in to that Shadow Sworn and find out how Adam did. We, yeah, we will see how it went. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I have no expectations, so we're going to see how it all plays out. I'm very excited. Uh, ben, what are you up to? I'm not running anything. Uh the only thing that I know that I'm doing is playing in one of Justin's Beneath the Inverted Churches, uh, one of his sessions he's running. Other than that, everything's sort of up in the air, and we'll see what happens. Whatever happens, happens. Cool. Justin? I am running three sessions of Beneath the Inverted Church. Um, Sunday, back-to-back, it'll be a marathon. Oof. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. And, and, and what are you running when you're not a crit hit? You're, you're, um, you're, you're, you're currently running a session, right? Yes. Um, I am. I think I'm really fortunate to have a great group of friends who are willing to sit down with me and play test the, the stuff that I'm writing. So we're play testing book two of Beneath. It's called The Spire and the Sound. Um, I like the title. Thank you. Um, a little abstract, but once you start playing, you, you'll understand what that means. Um, yeah, I feel super lucky to have a smart, dynamic group that allows me to torture and entertain <laughs> and prod them. Um, so, yeah. Well, um, I'm a big fan of Beneath the Inverted Church, and I think that some of the other people who listen to this podcast are as well. So I I feel like I'm speaking for all of us when I say we're very excited. 
we're very excited for book two. Now, yes. um, you did allude earlier that you've recently had a player a player character demise yeah. in your in your campaign, and uh, I've been kind of holding off asking you about it because. I'd love to hear the story. You want you want to share with us how it happens without giving too much about the book away yeah. for spoilers, spoilers I, reasons. But kind of like you know, if you could just talk about it in a general way. Yeah. So yeah, if I told you how it happened, it would be spoiling a pretty emotional possible hook in book two. Okay. Um, you know, like I, w- with my style of module writing, I approach it more like screenwriting, where the GM is the director and you have a lot of leeway. Probably more leeway. I think my stuff probably has almost maybe too much leeway. I just give you suggestions. And in this particular segment of book two, I say, here's a great opportunity to either punish your party or blind someone or straight up permadeath somebody. Um, and oh, I you put that down. It's straight up and bold. Like it's oh. up to you in, well, it's in service of your narrative. Sure. You know what I mean? It's always in service of, of the story and the narrative. And if it makes no sense, because you've already played through book one. If it makes no sense for someone to die, don't kill them. Yeah. If it does make sense and if it's going to like make them care more, then do it. Um, and unluckily, one of my best friends perished through this elaborate trap, very emotional trap. Um, and he's a wreck. Uh, well, I don't want to say he's a wreck, but he texted me the next day and was you know, pretty upset that no one really came to his aid. But I think they did try to come to his aid. He was backed in a corner that he couldn't come out of okay i think that that's classic that's classic gaming you know i think when you have players that are invested then these kind of conversations happen the day after like mm-hmm. what, what the fuck were you doing you got you didn't have you don't have any healing spells for me man yeah anyone who's <laughs> ever played a healer has had that experience where somebody else is yelling at you across the table why didn't you save it well yeah. i didn't save because you made bad decisions so right. like oh blaming the victim there's adam <laughs> he's just like he's telling michael he made bad decisions that's because i play that's because i play clerics i play clerics and everybody's <laughs> always like you need and i'm like nah i'm gonna save a heal for me and uh and i might skedaddle out of here if i got to <laughs> like the better part of uh, valor is discretion the economy of healing yeah. yep it is oh, I, I play I, I play a very uh, a very capitalist healer i'm like what are you gonna what are you gonna give me i'm always trying to weasel extra gold out of the players just like hey five do gold. you really are you no i'm really kidding real I, right here because ben and i actually played with a guy who played a wizard who was always trying to get us to pay him to build magic items. Yeah, I he, played with a guy who wanted us to pay him to cast spells, and we very quickly uh, party killed, like, like player killed that guy, because it was just like, I'm not going to pay you to cast like, <laughs> prismatic hands so or whatever. Lousy. Like I'm just going to stab you, because you're not doing your job <laughs> in the party. No, I, I I don't I don't play Gordon Gecko when I play Dungeons and Dragons. I uh, I, I am a he- I, I usually play healers just because I like to play support classes and so yeah. But I do get a lot of people questioning when I fired the heal and why I healed this other person, and it's like well, just because I thought it was the thing to do. So, um, Justin, do you want to maybe kind of like uh, I'm hoping that if 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 somebody listens to Full Metal RPG, then they know who you are. It's my hope that that's the case. Do you do you want to uh, talk a little bit about your background so that see people who maybe know you from your works might know you better as a person? Like, and we can put a link back to the review of Beneath the Inverted Church oh, on yeah. this as well, okay. so that if you don't 
then you can become familiar. Yeah, that's a great episode. You should also check your show notes right now if you want to maybe buy Beneath the Inverted Church or or, uh, some of the Dungeon Dealer products because we'll put a link in the show notes to the the product. Yeah, Beneath is on Amazon. You can get the paperback for 15 bucks. It's like, that's 50 cents an hour. So Nice. Roughly. So yeah, my background, I come from a fiction background. Um, I'm accustomed to writing like very long form fiction. Uh, So Say the Waiters is like a 900 page novel series. Uh, I just had a Amazon scout contract go through. So Two Girls, the series Two Girls is like a 600 page series, uh, like a young adult dystopic thing. Um, So I'm, I'm hoping I'm applying that decade of experience to module writing and make creating a series of books for this genre. Um, I think that's one of the skills I bring to the table is uh, like I'm a, I'm a big outliner. You know, I, I was telling Brendan earlier that um, when I'm writing, I have two docs open. I have the book that I'm writing and I have a living document outline that changes as I go. Okay. Um, extraordinarily helpful for... Uh, tension building, uh, emotion kind of, uh, sinking, grabbing. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's my history. I was an art major. Like I was a printmaking, uh, yeah, you, major. I mean, you, you, you kind of skip right to the, to the prose fiction, yeah. but, but you went to art school. Yes. I went to MICA, uh, the Maryland Institute college of art. Uh, originally I was going to be a painter, but I quickly figured out that I can't see color that well. Uh, I remember a teacher pointing at a wall as I was painting and she's like, that's blue. And I was painting. I was like, no, it's gray. Like I literally could not see the tone tonality, the, the subtlety and the, the shades. Um, I'm not colorblind, but I just can't see those like differences. Heavy relation, um, my friend. Yeah. Yeah. So black and white. Yeah. That's why I draw all black and white. Yeah. So I've switched to printmaking. I did a lot of intaglio, um, uh, uh, woodblock printing for a long time. And I, st- I still love that stuff. Mm. Um, and then when I got out of school, I couldn't afford to, I didn't, couldn't afford studio time. Cause like for, I, I can't remember what it was for a quarter for like three months you had to pay back in the late aughts or early aughts. It was like $300 a basically a hundred dollars a month to access those facilities. And I just couldn't do it. Yeah. So I just, um, I started writing, I started writing weird poetry. Um, started a, uh, a press that ran for 10 years. It was like an avant-garde uh, studio recording of strange poem poem stuff. Um, so, so this life of running a small press, of grinding promotion, of personal branding and of branding a product, uh, in addition to the creative process of coming up with an idea and then carrying it cr- through to completion, this is not new to you. This is, this is something you've been doing for a while. Yeah, uh, I think the what what the common the common thread would be like I've I've always been DIY and self-made and I've always had to basically do it myself and figure it out. Um so that, like Narrow House, the poetry press, I did all the graphic design, I did all the promotion, the the recording, my friend had a Tascam 8 track, you know, just like cassette with a condenser mic and we banged it out and in like basements we would go to New York and record people wow yeah um and it was it was really fun for a long time Uh, but i reached a point where i felt that we were sort of talking to the same you know 200 people and that we weren't growing our audience in the way that i thought we would even after 10 years it's like man like it's not 
resonating the way that I thought uh, it would. And it's poetry, of course. I mean, it's like really academic, uh, hard to interpret. Yeah, poetry. you consider that there's a, only a certain pool of people out there, right? Yes, yeah. absolutely. And the internet, sometimes the internet's deceiving. You're like, oh, there's tens of thousands of people out there that are going to fall in love with this this project. And a lot of times that's not the case. So um, I always wanted to write fiction and I always try to, and I wasn't trained in it. Um, I had no real mentor. I remember sitting down and trying to write this like Thomas Pynchon-esque, Don DeLillo-esque <laughs> beast of a book yes. ab- about everything. <laughs> it was about everything. I didn't restrain, there was no restraint. Um, so I learned a lot about limitations and restraint from that particular attempt at writing. Um, and that's part of growing up. That's part of like in your thirties, it's coming to terms with your limitations and coming to turn, like embracing what you can't do and understanding what you're good at and exploiting that as much as you can. Um, so here I am exploiting myself. And we're, we're <laughs> Hey man, we're in late stage capitalism. Everybody and everything is for sale. That's right. Ideas and now we're exploiting you. So, there you go. It's the circle of exploitation. It is. It's I have like a hotel a Disney room, so. movie, except <laughs> we can keep it going. <laughs> don't expect us to like lift you like Simba outside over the balcony or anything. Oh, I'm lifting. Oh, all right. Well. I'm lifting. Adam, I'm very disappointed that you don't want to be part of the lifting. Sorry, I, I, don't, I don't lift. I don't. I got no <laughs> upper body strength. I think I wear a buck seventy now, so we need two lifters. Oh, I'm all so right. jealous of you. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So, um. Tell me, man, how did you come to gaming? Because you are have an interesting backstory in that it's not like gaming was something that you kind of like found when you were 12 and then you adopted that as part of your personality and then that sort of built a wall around you in terms of like experiences that you were have funneling you into this sort of like the, the underbelly of nerd life. Uh, you, you came to it much later. Yeah. Um, so I grew up... Um I grew up in a small New Hampshire town where we were sort of in the woods and I don't know if, even if I wanted to game tabletop game, I don't think I could have, it would have been really hard to get more than one person to sit down, uh, and play. So I, I remember having an older cousin who was 10 years older and he had tons of books and minis and stuff. And he was just too old. I was too young to play with him. Um, did he have a group he played with regularly or he must have, but, um, I come from a, like a really religious, that side of the family was very okay. religious. So he, it might've been a secret that he shared with me later on. And I might've not known it was a secret kind of thing. And and those um, were the days when the religious guys were coming for us, you know? Yeah. And it was the, there was like this, these, these witch hunts, especially in, in small communities. Yeah. So I, I can um, see where he might've been trying to play his cards close to his chest. Yeah. Um, so, for me, it was all computer games, um, like Ultima on NES and like all the Ultima stuff and sure. Zelda, early Zelda, all that stuff, falling in love with RPGs. Um, and I carried that into my, into adulthood. And three years ago, I was lucky enough to be in a bar where a local journalist was and we were talking about writing and he was like, oh, you should write a column for the city paper. Like at the time we had an, an alternate, really cool city paper. We still do, but it's going out of business. Um, and I was like, well, what can I write about? Like, and he's like, I don't know, write whatever you want. And I was like, how about a monthly gaming column? And he's like, sure. Just make it like macro. Talk about big stuff. When Boko Haram kills people, relate it to video games. When this happens, relate it to this. Um, 
And I was like, cool, that's great. I can do like social commentary about games. And I did that for a year and a half uh, and loved it. And then my wife and I got pregnant or she got pregnant. And um, I started thinking really hard about screen time and my son and what are the values that I want to pass down to him? Um, definitely writing, definitely creativity, creativity as power. Sure. Creativity as uh, antidepressant, creativity as anti-anxiety. Um, so that's first. And then I started investigating RPGs. Uh, so this would have been like two and a half years ago. Uh, and the more I learned, the more I was like, how did I not come to this earlier? Son of a bitch. <laughs> like, <laughs> son of a bitch. <laughs> so, um, and I think for me, it was there was a big hurdle for me as far as the rule sets and stuff. It always just seemed so big and intimidating that I wouldn't have time to do it because I had the novel writing and I had a full-time job and I have uh, all these other things going on and a wife now. Um, like, how in the world would I be able to sit down and, and read this tome and interpret it without a mentor for a group that I have to find. I don't even have the group of players yet. Yeah. So um, I got really lucky in that when I was investigating and, and researching RPG, tabletop RPG stuff, my buddy Ken Bowman came through town and he, he, he had just published Maze of the Blue Medusa. Um, and he's like, hey, I'm, I'm flying to Maine with my wife. We're gonna, we're gonna zigzag down the East Coast. Can I stay with you for a night? And I was like, yeah, sure. Um, and he's like, hey, can I run Blue Medusa for you guys? And I was like, of course you can. And I like had literally never played anything before. I was still in the research phase. Uh, and he used the black hack, which is like the most basic, basic system on the planet, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and Ken being a child actor, former child actor, um, was a gifted, gifted GM. Uh, I was blown away. And I invited, uh, it was my buddy Jimmy, and I invited uh, David Cook, like Zeb Cook, edition two. He actually showed up, and we played in the basement. And you, you like ran into him at like a used bookstore, right? Yeah, he was drinking at. We have a great bookstore bar, and he was drinking in the back. And the owner was like, "Justin, this is uh, this is Zeb." And I was like, "Are you fucking kidding me?" <laughs> so yeah, he just hangs out in town. Um, so so your first role playing experience was 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 playing with a guy who was. Beta, beta testing his no, his novel <laughs> oh yeah or his, his module yep. he's, made play test, he's beta testing his module that has since been released and I oh think it was already released he, he oh, he, oh the, this the is the release version yeah. okay yeah. so and that, that that has good reviews on it yeah maze of blue, blue medusa so it's it's a great it's a great module and you're playing with zeb cook it's your first time out yes i was wicked intimidated but I, it's great because ken knew who zeb was and zeb you know, I'd heard of Ken and their energy was just like electric. So I just got to sit back and watch them like do their thing. It was, it was, uh, it was so impressive that I was like, you know, I, I, I had just finished up Dungeon Dealer and Kickstarter, like the very first one. Oh, wow. And I was convinced I like, I'm just going to create utilities and not write. I'm just going to kind of slowly figure this out. But watching Ken do his thing, I was like, I need to write, like, I need to, I need to do this and I can do it. So that's awesome. Yeah, that's yeah. a great story. That's amazing because when I encountered you on Instagram, that's how you and I know each other is through, through Instagram. Yeah, uh, I was uh, you know trying to promote the show, and I was just going through and liking things, following people that were using the Dungeons and Dragons hashtag. I think, and so Dungeon Dealer was up, and I remember being kind of like, 
I don't know, Dungeon Dealer. It's another one of these build a, build a dungeon products, and there's a million of them. What what makes this one better? And you put up a time lapse of yourself building a uh, building a dungeon using the Dungeon Dealer decks. Yeah. And I was just like funding that, <laughs> pledging that shit after watching the the time lapse because yeah. it was amazing. Yeah. And uh, I, I I have that stuff. I carry it around with me with my copy of uh, LOTFP yep. and Vorenheim because you have those two things. You have those three things all together. What what else do you need? Yeah, dice and okay. pencil. Yeah, I was gonna say. Yeah, character do, sheets. You need the dice, <laughs> dice, <laughs> um, pencil, table, critical, other people, critical, the critical. Yeah, um, <laughs> friends. What, you know? Snacks. So, Snacks. And then I remember fo- as I was following you, like very shortly thereafter, because I, that that's sort of how I perceived what Dungeon Dealer was going to be was a utility. Yeah. And then very shortly thereafter, Beneath came out, and I was just I was really blown away to see that coming coming from what I thought was going to be a utility creator. Yeah. And you and I got started talking about that real quick. Yes. Now, yeah. uh, so so tell us about what went into the writing of it. Like, like what what was going on with you? What is it you were kind of trying to do? What I mean, kind of pitch the adventure. Maybe people who haven't bought it yet. Oh like, sure. Just 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 you know, get us on the same page. Um. So like, I guess I'm a firm believer in creating stuff that I don't want to say the world needs because no one needs another module, but. Um, got to create something a little different and you got to have your own voice. Um, so, and, and I think the one thing that ties all my work together, all the, the novel writing is there's always like a technological element that's talking about like a current tension that's going on. So like, so I'm going to back up just a tiny bit. Go for it, so man. say the waiters is about an app that you can download where you can schedule your own kidnapping. Uh, you type in what you want. And within 48 hours, if it's accepted, a taker comes and fulfills that fantasy for you. Uh, and there's a whole social network of waiters and takers, people being taken and whatever. And the takers are celebrities within the network, almost like uh, an Uber exec who's a douchebag. You know, like that's the villain. Okay. Um, so, uh, and similarly with my other work, uh, Two Girls is similar in the technological vein. And even the Iraqi novel stuff that I did is similar. Um, so, um, thinking about beneath and thinking about this new module, um, I'm going to kind of not spoil a little bit of it, but there's this demon named the inverted Cupid, uh, who's seducing people through mirrors. So if you own a mirror, pocket mirror, whatever he can, it can access your mind and soul and, and seduce you, um, thinking fully about Okay, Cupid, inverted Cupid, uh, Cragley, the town, Craigslist. So there's a lot of little tiny nuggets in here um, that have a very faint, 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 um, like hint towards what's going on now. Uh, so I don't want to say Beneath is about online dating, <laughs> but <laughs> I always, whenever I'm writing, I'm really trying to access or, or, or reference bits and pieces that we have in our real lives that people care about. Um, that said, it's really loose in this book. Like you could play this and have no, absolutely no idea. I said, I, I, I <laughs> read it, I guess to the surface and didn't see that at all. So yeah. Yeah. Right? I think that's the I, point. I like it, it, it shouldn't be blatant. So, um, now you wrote this as a system agnostic module and you can, you can port it into any kind of, uh, like, um, Retro clone or OSR game? Um, could you could you think you could do it fifty D and D? 
I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and my style is so loose that I can, I, I say, just make it, make it what you need it to be. And so. it's, it's incredibly dark. It's a horror game, right? Yeah. yeah. Mean, so, so kind of talk to us about like, sort of like where you were at, like as you were writing this, like, like what, what, I mean, aside from the social aspect of what you were drawing on, what, what was it you were trying to like, b- you know, birth into the world here? Um, well, I think you summed it up really well in that episode where you re- you guys reviewed it that, um, like I grew up Catholic and I, I grew up, um, under certain like social constraints with my, especially my creativity. Uh, I remember I told Brendan this earlier that, um, for Christmas, I wanted a Megadeth t-shirt and my mom mailed it to my grandma who said I could get whatever I wanted with this money. And when it came in the mail as a surprise to her, she freaked, cut it up into pieces and deposited those pieces into separate waste baskets around the house. So it wouldn't come together at night and destroy her. Um, that's what I was dealing with. Rest in peace. Yeah. So, and like, I feel like that's a short story on its own. I feel like you, you, I feel like and you like, gotta write that. I feel like you gotta write that. Man. I think I think I will. <laughs> um, or we just yeah. That sounds like it. Almost sounds like one of those uh, David Sedaris kind of stories that yeah. you would get about growing up and and his experiences and everything. Just, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and and they would do religious families would do crazy stuff like that. Yeah. Where they would they would break your toys or they would throw away your so, stuff and you were just like that like, was my thing. So superstitious. So like beneath really addresses some of that stuff like the the crypt the undungeon is trying to seduce the party um and it's physically alive like the the dungeon is alive there's these mirror doors that you physically have to um either expose yourself to uh or do something wacky to another player to convince the door to door to open um and when you play this game you don't have to go that dark or that you know sexual yeah i was gonna um, say i didn't get wacky from the mirror doors i got more perverted like i yeah, wasn't doing wacky stuff to other people like hey let me put a unicorn hat on you buddy <laughs> and i when i play with my group i sort of make it a little funny because like if they try something corny i'll have the door like cackle at them or whatever's in the portal just sort of like groans and like are you kidding me like that right <laughs> but there's a lot of leeway like in the forward i say you are free to interpret the mirror doors in any way that's appropriate for the maturity of your party. Um, but yeah, like, um, there's a lot of pseudo satanic cult stuff in the book. Um, there's, I think the, the kid in me wanted to write beneath and has wanted to write it for a long time in response to the way that I grew up. And I imagine my dead grandmother fucking reading this shit. Like, <laughs> like I don't think she'd on. even get past the back cover. Like, yeah, that, yeah. That would it, do in, it for her. The, inver- the like, inverted inver- crucifix would probably be like the tipping point for her. I don't know that it would get opened. I agree. I got to mm. say, I, th- I really felt like, you know, I mean, I come from a different time. Uh, I remember the satanic panic vaguely. I remember my mom being very worried about me playing D and D. I remember about, I remember finding a copy of dark dungeons, the chick pamphlet on the ground outside of like a freakishly cultish right wing church that was in my, my hometown. And, and the way that people kind of like viewed that entire experience. And so kind of like dark and, and dangerous, you know what I'm saying? I remember even in the nineties when people who wore cannibal cult 
or Campbell Corpse T-shirts were like, oh, the, look at that guy. Remember, you know those 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 shirts? They're very inflammatory. Yeah, Marilyn um, Manson. I remember there was a kid at my Manson high school shirts. who wore a Marilyn Manson shirt, and like everybody, oh, just stay away from that. Yeah, kid. yeah. Like, Why? It's so, just it's a music. Like it's not. To, so, so to me, the problem. the the upside down cross on the back cover is like super baller. It's like it's like oh man, that you would not see that on a role playing product. You would never see that on a role playing product because most role playing products want to stay so far away from that. They're they're so busy going in the other direction where they're like role playing teaches you about math and friendship. You know, they're trying to they're they're like Let, let's get the message out that role playing is not about Satanism. And I'm just like, no. Let us make let's make role playing be about all the horrible shit yeah, everybody well, said it was. Even D and D don't see demons on the cover of the books anymore like they used to. Yeah. It's, now it's like ah, oh, it's fire giant. You know. That, yeah. All right. It's we're not gonna put a demon on it. There's it's there's like, a barkeep right. on the cover of one of the newest ones. You yeah. Know, like, well, one of them guy. was uh like they put demo uh, demogorgon on it, but it was just like you know nobody really knows who that is. It's just like hey. Well, look, they didn't like until a, Stranger Things. Well, nobody really even knows who Demogorgon is, even after Stranger Thing. They all think it's that weird flower head thing with all the teeth and not like the, hey, look, it's like a monkey yeah. and he's got a tentacle arms and isn't he kind of weird looking? But like, isn't it like the most, not the most perfect time to create this type of work? Um, but you think about eight years of W, eight years of Obama, and now this, Ugh. and I don't want to get political. You can. It's um, yeah, you can. We do all the time. <laughs> but whatever this is, whatever this is, Right now, uh, I think it's a perfect time to create this type of work. This is like the Empire Strikes Back, yes. I think, is where we're at culturally. <laughs> we are at the, the Empire Strikes Back period. Well, all that having been said, um, you, you have this background, Justin, in uh, self-publishing and in running a small press. And now you've 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 created severed books. Uh, and now is is severed books uh, to, going to be like a an, an imprint? Is it going to be like a is it a vanity press for your own stuff? Are you thinking about branching out to other people, uh, covering other people's works? Which is this is not a call for submissions. If he says yes, guys, I'm just I'm just we're just trying to get the feel for the artist here. What is it? What is you what you want to do with severed books? All right, so yeah, um, we've been working on for the past six months. We've been working on a book by Kevin Sherry. So it'll be our first, I guess first non-Justin book. Um, but Kevin is a published children's book author and illustrator. He's got uh, mm -hmm. books with Penguin and Scholastic. Uh, and he's also one of the most dedicated, frenetic people I I've ever met. Um, and playtesting his, his new, I don't want to say young adult book, but the book is going to be for ages 7 to 12, I guess. Um, playtesting with him, with him and his friends has been awesome. Uh, he's gifted. <laughs> right on. <laughs> so he'll even like... El elaborate, elaborate. I feel like there's a story oh, yeah. there. You have this look on your face. Tell us, let us in. Oh, so um, he lives in this little house in Baltimore, a little, little row house, and I go over there and it's hot and sweaty and he's got like, you know, a mixer set up and some distortion pedals and uh, this GM screen that he like spray painted, like totally renegade and uh, wow. everything looks like it's duct taped together, but beautiful and we played this, you know, we played a chapter of his story where like we're interacting with stuff and he's got like voice effects on the microphone and like he's just like bouncing around and it was it was great. Dude, that sounds he's amazing. Wow. Born to do it. That um, sounds amazing. That's not oh my god. Yeah. So his book will be on Kickstarter. I, I think it'll be in his name, not my name, but I'll, but it'll be Severed Books. He'll run the Kickstarter. Um and I imagine because he's such a quick illustrator that some of the incentives will just be like 
uh, affordable and fun to own. So yeah, you're mentioning uh, this, like maybe some personalized art or something like that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's very exciting. Um, That's very exciting. Right now it's called Kevin Sherry's scales and tails. It might change, but, um, super clever stuff. Uh, and I think it'll be illustration heavy, which will be nice because I think he's going to write in the similar, like loose style where the GM slash mom or dad who's playing for the kids will have a lot of, uh, a lot of, um, artistic, uh, what's the word? They can do what they want. Leeway. Oh, freeway. Leeway. Allowance. Yeah. For freedom. Leeway. Yeah. Freeway. Yeah. So, Good job, Adam. <laughs> artistic three-way. Artistic Brain. freeway. Um, Brain so, no work. So I think that sort of interestingly, I mean, we live in this time when access to the tools to be a creative person have, have never been never been more available. And so we're seeing a lot of people push through the membrane of being sort of like passive consumers into being uh, kind of hobbyist creators. And there's a lot of people who I think have the ambition to become professional creator, to quit the old nine to five and to subsist off of things like Patreons and Kickstarters, maybe get their own imprints going, maybe uh, be be little, little small cottage industries into themselves with their own creativity. And I think that you have a lot of interesting insights that you could give people like that, especially as it applies to the gaming industry. So, I mean, Adam and Ben, if you guys want to ask specific questions to Justin, Justin, I'm going to give you the prompt of please talk to aspiring creatives out there. What is it you want to say to aspiring aspiring creatives? And if you guys have specific questions that you want to add to sort of like bring some focus onto you know specific specific issues, please please jump in. But but Justin, like as a creative in the gaming industry specifically, what what is it that you have to say to aspirants out there? What are some of the hurdles they're going to look at? What are some directions that they should look at? Please go. Um, I would say. If you want to do it, do it. Like, there's nothing. The only thing stopping you is yourself. You know, self-doubt. Um, number two, find a great mentor. Um, I, not that I messed up early on in my creative life, but I didn't find a great mentor until maybe ten years ago for the thing that I wanted to do. Um, so seek out that older person, and you would be like. Through, in my experience with, with asking for blurbs for novels or asking for um, uh, like small favors to well-known people, you, you're, you'd be surprised that 30% of the people are going to say yes because you've re- you wrote this really exciting email and you appreciate their work and they're going to help you just a little bit to, to boost you. So find a good mentor. Um, and it doesn't have to be someone who's been in the industry forever. It could be someone who's you know, just a little further along. Um, and then try to make something different. You know, don't, uh, well, you can copy people to a certain extent. Nothing, nothing's going to be new. Nothing's Every, new under the sun. Kids, everything's been right? done. Yeah, everything's been done. But find that hole in the genre or market that you're trying to penetrate and uh, like do something a little different and make it your own style and understand what your style is first. You know, you could, you could be writing for 10, 15 years and not find your voice. Uh, so develop your voice, make something new and, uh, make it fun. That's, that's probably the first rule. If it's not fun, take it out of your book. And if it's not compelling, take it out of your book. We were talking about useless mechanics earlier and like, yeah, they're cool when you read about it. They're cool. Like, uh, when they make sense for the narrative, but if they're not fun, 
if it's not going to be, if it doesn't serve the narrative, then just take it out. I, I think so. that when you're writing, right? I think everybody at this, who's sitting at this table has has some experience at the very least as an amateur writer, right? Um, and when you're writing and you hit that stride and your brain's really percolating and it's, you know when you're in that zone, when you're just creating content, you can't stop yourself and you start writing rule sets, you can get into this creative zone where you're like, oh man, I'm going to create this boss ass rule set for boiling water and there's going to be a boss ass rule set for like hitting the bullseye with an, with an arrow and like all the degrees of failure and everything. And you can write a bunch of very, very excessive stuff. And that that goes into every single type of writing, right? Every type of writing is you have to learn when you when you've gone out into the woods and into some weird little lost path. You got to bring it back to focus. Yeah, overwriting is the easiest thing to do. And that you see, look at that. I just overwrote with my talking, and he summed it up in one sentence. You see, you see that, guys. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. I think that a lot of people go out there and they're I'm gonna I'm gonna write a fucking new system and I'm gonna reinvent the wheel. Do you really have to? I mean, think about it. Maybe you do. Maybe you got some crazy news. The, the storyteller system wasn't the storyteller system until somebody wrote it, right? So maybe you're sitting on the next big thing. But maybe you're just regurgitating some shit, you know? Think you about also it. Have to, you also have to acknowledge that players and GMs prefer, they prefer certain systems because they're familiar and they're like, they're, it's their language. So are we going to go out and learn Arabic tomorrow? Right. Give I mean, us a reason me, to. Just how many times do I need to read what the Malay skill is? How yeah. many times do I need to read what <laughs> dexterity is? You know what I mean? Like I have a thousand different systems that all have dexterity, and they all want to tell me about dexterity for a page or more. And I'm going, I, I get, I know what it is. That's why I call it agility. Oh, okay. Is that is that I, how you solve that problem? I, I think that you have an interesting point, Adam. In that, like Dungeons and Dragons, Vampire the Masquerade, they should probably tell you what each thing is and how everything single thing works like have a, pe- a a page or a chapter on what is a role playing game what is a game master how does all this shit work if you're writing a game system or a module that is maybe going to have 200 copies do you really who's buying this is this somebody is this going to be somebody's first role playing game well, I feel like first even just a lot of role playing systems where they use the same system like the world of darkness stuff where they're like hey um when you buy now in the second edition when you buy vampire and when you buy werewolf the forsaken and when you buy mage the awakening we're going to tell you all this stuff over and over and over again you're going to buy the same pages 50 times which is why i really like their first edition where they're like here's the blue book yeah it's got all that stuff. Yeah. Once you have it, here's a template you lay over top of it. Here's yeah. the next template you lay over top of it. And the only time that we're going to tell you anything is when it's different. And I really like that. Now I just, I get these these really thick books from them where they're telling me stuff I already know. Well, the, the thing is, I mean, that's a marketing thing. They, I think it was an innovation for them. So to sell you a rule set and then to sell you a splat or a template. But then they changed their stupid business model so that you can't walk into a hobby store and see all the books laying out. Right. So there's so if I'm just some kid and I live in Nebraska right. and, and I, I buy Forsaken, I can't play it because I don't have the blue book. Right, because I didn't know. And it's right. like, well, maybe Demon the Fallen is going to be your first role playing game. But it game. seems like you, you could have solved that with a bundle. Like, hey, here's a bundle. Like these two books, buy them together. And here's why we're at, we're at an interesting point in the development of the hobby, and we the, really are. And, and, and there's the way a lot those of, things are going to be sold. There's a lot of like D and D insider and and the new White Wolf Storyteller Vault, where 
they're soliciting creator-owned content now. They're saying, hey, come write for us and, and put it in our vault. And it's one of those things where it's like, it, that to me is one of those questions that I have is, is just, you know, how do you differentiate yourself in a sea of all of these people putting out stuff? You know, it's like, because there's going to be a lot of bad stuff that gets into those systems or, or, or you know, or, or into those Here's Those my Twilight, communities. Twilight hack. For right. Here's my here's my here's my clan Cullen V five clan book. Yeah. If it's not uh, here's my clan Vampire Diaries. Uh, you know, and you're just going, okay. Well, how do I how do I as a creative, you know, differentiate myself? And that was what you were talking about. Where hey, you need to find your voice and you need to do something different. And and yeah, it's just you know, to me, it's just that initial hurdle of getting it out there. And and, and it's like, yeah, I created something different. Um, but I need people to know it's different. I need people to find it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, th- that is complicated because it comes down to, you guys were talking about artwork for your podcast, like the cover art. Um, you need to invest a little bit in a, a great artist uh, to shine, to like really like stick out. Like I, I won't tell you how much I paid for this cover of beneath. This image was expensive. Yeah. It didn't look cheap when I saw it. I was no. like, Oof, yeah. that had to cost. And I, I paid for an exclusive life lifetime license for it. Um, but I knew that, if the players are going to get invested, this NPC is the one that they're going to be emotionally attached to. Um, and it needs to look a certain way. It, there's no freaking dragon on the cover. There's yeah. no, it's a great demon. piece too. It's gorgeous. Yeah. Like, she's it's, pretty it's, like somber. I think it says a lot. She even sort of makes an inverted cross with her body. The entirety of that book and the way the the cover works together, the, the interior, the, uh, the layout, it's all very pro. Um, and it's it's a quality product when you pick it up, and, and I think that the it tells a story from a graphic point of view when you when you see it, you know the way the the, the dimensions of the book are unique. Every everything about it. I mean, that's getting into like some super marketing. But this is the stuff that you have to think about, right? Oh my gosh! You're every creator, little inch, every little right? inch, and then you have to find a good printer. Like I just use Amazon's Create Space for POD for print on demand, and when I got this in the mail, like I knew that their quality was getting better and better. But I was like, holy crap, like this costs me $2 and 40 something cents delivered to my door wholesale. Um, and then 15 bucks online. That ain't bad for a, a long ass campaign. Yeah. For a supplement. Like that's, yeah. a, that's a really nice price point for that. Yeah. That, that's good for you in terms of direct marketing, mm-hmm. but it also bakes into your pricing structure, a wholesale price so that you're still making money. Yeah. And you can sell it to a retailer and a retailer can have it on their shelf right. if a retailer wants to do something like that. Yeah, absolutely. Which is, again, how you have to start thinking about this stuff is 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 where it, given the access to all these creative tools and the ability to try and brand ourselves and try and become professional creatives, it means you also have to start thinking like a business person. You can't just be like, oh, I'm going to become hacky sack champion illustrator guy you yeah. also have to you also have to manage your own damn brand right do you have any do you have any uh uh insights you want to give people on 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 brand development and managing your brand because yeah. i think that you and i think that severed books have done a really great job of that over the last year i think it's been Thanks. laser-like laser-like so yeah uh, and this could be probably a, a few a few podcasts worth of material like sure breakdown yeah. of like how to make a pod book could be an hour of of you know, content. So I'll just glaze over like, um, so when I first started, uh, dungeon dealer on Etsy, I just had a basic, I was like, all right, I'll start another Instagram account other than my own, which felt kind of weird because I'd never done that. It's like, so there's another Justin out there. Um, 
And then I knew like when I was posting on Etsy, everything had to have a look. So like I got this like Pantone orange, a specific Pantone orange paper. Um, so the, all my first posts were like gray block of tile on the, on the orange background. And it, if you scroll back to my first post, it looks like Halloween. It's just like gray, orange, black, orange, black, gray, <laughs> orange, black, gray. And it looked cool. Yeah. And that sounds, that sounds great. Yeah. It's like this patchwork of like uh, monochromatic uh, terrain. So people caught on and people started following and then the Etsy shop kind of blew up. Um, so I always tried to have a consistent look on Instagram and usually not all the time, but even when I'm posting pics of like Brendan or whatever, I try to keep it the same color palette ish. Um, and then the branding of beneath this, that this is super restrained. So like all the interior art is going to be by Scott, Scott Buon Cristiano. I think I'm pronouncing it right. Um, so I'm trying to keep that as, um, as the same as possible. So, uh, the next cover can't be by this woman cause I can't afford it, but my friend is a great naturalistic painter. So it'll be monochromatic and dark and stuff. Um, so yeah, branding, branding is really difficult. Um, just decide what look you like and stick to it. And if you need to change your name, which I've done before, cause I was like dungeon mod at first. Really? Yeah, it was dungeon mod. Um, like module, uh, whatever. I didn't like that. And when the Kickstarter blew up the dungeon dealer one, I was like, Oh, I'll just change it to that. But now the Instagram severed books. So I've actually changed it three times, which is really unhealthy. Like you shouldn't do that. Um, but I think I've settled on severed books as the hub of all the, like the junk. Yeah. Cause making. you do t-shirts too. I mean, Jesus, I, we haven't even touched on your t-shirts. You do, you do t-shirts, you do books, you do utility products at this point. And, uh, and you've just done, uh, I will agree that the stuff that you put out is very consistent in its look and feel, despite the fact that you're operating across three different products, you know, and that, that's something that the, the people have to think about. You have to think of, you have to start thinking about that stuff. It's like, um, it's one thing to take your notes that you're of from your campaign and you're like, okay, I'm going to turn this into a source book. And, uh, to take all of that and then somehow apply alchemy to it to create a finished product that has a look and then has a feel. I recently just received a book from a Kickstarter. I'm very excited for this Kickstarter. And um, when I received the book, I was actually a little bit bummed out by the interior because it was obvious to me that what somebody had done is they had taken a Microsoft Word document they had cleaned up their campaign notes and they had obviously written like very, very comprehensive campaign notes. And they were probably like pretty proud of that. Like, Oh, I'm look how detailed my world is and look how detailed all my shit is. And then they had just put that into a book. <laughs> it's like, I just bought somebody's campaign notes squished into a, into a cover. And then and, and they had, you know, as part of the Kickstarter, they had, uh, they had bought some very professional art, but then the renderings of that art in terms of the grayscale that went in there were, were poor. So you lost a lot of detail. Um, and, uh, it, it was disappointing. It was disappointing because, because, because these guys had a, had a, had a cool product with a cool idea. They sold me on it. And then they hadn't thought it through as to how are we going to develop this product? How are mm. we going to develop this brand? Mentors. Oh, mentors, you know, like find the person who's publishing stuff and that looks pretty slick and just ask or like, do you, can you uh, pre-flight this doc, this PDF for me? Can you make sure every image is high res? Everything looks tight. You know, the gutter isn't 
close too close that's a bad example but the gutter isn't too close to the the spine so like the book just is destroyed when you're reading it mm. that kind of stuff yeah yeah uh, really tiny stuff that can like break your product yeah so, i mean there's professional products that are being put out there on print on demand that don't look as nice as that like that have these terrible gutters that look awful that uh, like i've bought some of them and i've just been like oh, yeah gonna break the spine me? and then the glue falls apart so. yeah it's uh, just ridiculous it helps if you're an artist and i think that i'm lucky that you know i i'm an artist adam's an artist so we both, whenever we need something visual for the podcast, it's it's an embarrassment of riches. We, either one of us can do it. Um, but I also know other artists. I know designers. I know writers. So that, so I have people around me that I can call on for things. Um, and you might not be that lucky in your like little home community somewhere. You know, if you're a GM, you're probably kind, you're probably kind of creative. But you might have to be straddling that world of like the math guy and a creative guy because that's the way our community is. That's the way our hobby is. Is it's is it's a, a synergy of of analytical thinking and creative thinking, and you might have to kind of go outside of your comfort zone and meet some other creative people. Yeah, you know. Um, here's here's a good lesson. Like uh, when I was writing Falcons on the Floor, first novel, super ambitious. Uh, I had to collaborate with an, an Iraqi refugee uh, on Gmail. I didn't meet her for seven years we did the whole thing remotely um and i was when i was looking for blurbs for that book i knew that i was up against like you know uh, people that were gonna say hey white guy that didn't go to war why'd you write this damn book you idiot cultural appropriation yeah all that stuff so i reached out to dar jamal uh who wrote beyond the green zone uh an unembedded reporter that went to fallujah and reported on stuff sick fucked up shit um, and wrote this beautiful book. I emailed him, you know, short, sweet, uh, you influenced my work in ways you don't know kind of stuff. Uh, will you please, please blurb my book if you have time? And he said yes. So you, you okay. never wow. know. Like yeah, this guy like, works for Al Jazeera English and this guy's traveled out all over the world. He took the time to read a 300 page, very, very, very rough first draft, which I'm embarrassed by. Um, but he said <laughs> yes. And the blurb is like pure gold. So people read the blurb and they understand like white guy did a decent job at this attempt at writing this novel. So um, don't be afraid, audience, don't be afraid to reach out to uh, not just a mentor, but someone you idolize. You never know. They, you might catch them on a good day. Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. Well, man, we are running, we're running low on time. What, what, are you, what are your closing thoughts? What do you want to get out there? Um, so um, just follow us on Instagram severed books. Is that um, severed underscore books or is it just severed books? I think it's underscore or severedbooks.com. Go to ah. severedbooks.com. See the cool stuff we're doing. Follow us. Uh, Beneath book two will come out and uh, I think the Kickstarter will come out in the fall. Um, and it is, I promise that it's darker. It's going to be sexier. Whew. Um, that's a, that's, that's, that's going to be a tough film, promise man. to deliver. I yeah. gotta say, I already talked to my illustrator, and he's willing to to push the envelope. Will it be wackier? So. <laughs> <laughs> there might be some uh, some, some whack, wackiness, some whack. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> but yeah, look for that in the fall. Uh, I th I think I'm gonna stick some like higher tiered terrain, uh, new terrain stuff for for pledgers. Uh, and then Kevin's book. Kevin bo Kevin's book is gonna be great for young kids. The anti beneath. It's the above. All right. Yeah. Great. Right on. 
Well, uh, thank you, Adam and Ben, for coming in. Thank you, Justin, for yes, talking to you, us. thank you, Justin. I think if you want to use uh, Adam's uh, quote as a blurb for uh, Beneath 2. Yeah, just, hit me up. Just wackier, yeah. exclamation point. Just, just dot, 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 wackier, <laughs> wackier. dot, dot, dot. <laughs> Adam, Full Metal RPG. Sold. There, there you go. Um, <laughs> thank you, guys. It's been, it's been an honor, a pleasure. Brendan, you're an amazing host. Great food, great beer. Love your dogs. It's been so great having you over. It's been it's been such a blast. Uh, Crit Hit 2017 has been a blast. We're only in the opening hours of it here. We it's are. already been a blast. I, I'm, I'm, I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy to be here with you guys, all of you. Um, and Justin, thank you for making the time. Um, Phoenix, come to Crit Hit to hang out. And then, of course, to spend a little bit of time on this podcast. Thank you so much. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, if you're listening to the bonus episode, you know all the stuff. I'm not gonna bore you with it again. Go back to the other episodes and re-listen. We love you uh, giving us the reviews. Think about it. Have a good night. Good night. Good night. Wash this and seal this fate. to meet you. Hope you guess my name. But what's puzzling you is the nature of my game I stuck around St. Petersburg When I saw it was a time for a change